I don't need to tell you that Canada is one of the best places in the world. Just head over to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development's Better Life Index and you'll see no matter what factor you value the most, jobs, education, health, safety, and overall life satisfaction, we're always close to, if not, the number one nation. As for science, we're also one of the best places to conduct research. Our history is filled with achievements that have changed the way we live. From the discovery of insulin to video recordings and even lasers to help us see better, many have even won the most prestigious award in the world, the Nobel Prize. So let's show some love for this country and also for science. This week, we're celebrating Canada as a leader in science, and our guest is none other than the Minister of Science and Sport, the Honorable Dr. Kirsty Duncan. And let me just tell you something. This one was really fun for me because she's not just a politician, she's also a researcher. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to be waving the flag for the true North strong and sciencey. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. Science has always been important in Canada, and we have been the spark for changes that have improved our world. That cannot be denied. But until 2015, there was no official voice for science in Parliament. That all changed when Kirsty Duncan was honored as the Minister of Science. And this wasn't a token position. Because Minister Duncan, along with being the Member of Parliament for Etobicoke North, had already made her mark in science as both a researcher and professor. Her discoveries helped us to better understand our environment and how it affected our health. It was the perfect place to start our discussion. You had an awesome journey in research before you ventured into politics, and I really want to talk about that. Tell us first about your decision to head into science and get that doctorate from the University of Edinburgh. First of all, just let me say how thrilled I am to be with you today. I still remember where I first met you, and I'm so pleased for you and all your enormous success. So this is just a great honor for me. My dream was to be an artist and a dance teacher from the age of four. Uh, my dream at age nine was to be an artist and a dance teacher and to study in Scotland. When I was in the end of high school, I couldn't go into art, but I taught dancing for all these years. And my mom said, take what you love at university. And I fell in love with science on day one. I had the most incredible professor who took us around the world in two hours, and I thought, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. And so after I finished U of T, I did a degree in geography and anthropology. I got the opportunity to do a PhD in my beloved Scotland in Edinburgh. And I looked at climate change and how it affected health. But while I was there, I taught dancing, I taught diving, and I taught at the university. I love students. I love working with young people. 
It kind of makes you wish that the science magazine had the dance your PhD back when you were doing it. I'm sure you would have won. (laughs) (laughs) Right from the start, you were making waves in the research community because you were linking climate with all sorts of diseases, ranging from leprosy to the plague, one of my favorites. And even the potential reason for the Scottish witch trials. I read that paper. I absolutely loved it. What kept you motivated as a researcher while you were exploring medical geography? You asked such good questions, which makes you a good researcher. I, like you, am just curious. I want to know how things work. I, I ask a thousand questions and uh, I became you know, when I started my PhD, I wanted to do climate change. This was still pretty new uh, then. And I was really interested on its impacts on health, whether it was extreme heat or extreme cold, or as you rightly point out, climate's impacts on insects that carry disease. So I think of ticks and Lyme disease, or I think of mosquitoes and West Nile virus. So when I came back to Canada... Environment Canada asked me to do work for them, and uh, and then I was asked uh, to by Canada to serve on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and to be a lead author for Climate Change and Human Health. I've been in that world where you're taking fundamental research and turning it into policy. It's hard. <laughs> it's it's just so not easy. <laughs> what was it like for you? This was before you were in politics. You were still like us out here doing the research and hoping to God somebody heard you. How was it sort of moving to translational? It's about having a real discussion with the research community, hearing about the work that they are doing. There are such, you know, I think I know the research community. It's the community I come from. I love our community. And yet, when I go across the country today, I'm awed, humbled, and inspired every day. And what was really neat when I worked with Environment Canada, they would reach out to researchers in academia. And so to have the opportunity to work with government scientists, to work on policy, I found that really exciting. How could I make a difference? to my community, and to the country. I have to admit, I love speaking wonk, so I think we're kind of <laughs> science soulmates in that respect. What really I loved about you was the, the idea that here you are, you're doing climate change, you're doing medical geography, all of these things, and then you just shift gears <laughs> to possibly my favorite topic, the flu, which I've talked about in my own books, especially the Spanish flu. How did you go from talking about climate change and medical geography to figuring out what's going on with Spanish flu? That, and and how did you get a book out of it? <laughs> well, I, and I do think that we are science soulmates. It's just so good to be able to talk science and research and be so excited by it. I was interested again in climate, and I read a book on Spanish flu. This was not something I had heard of growing up. It wasn't in my school days. It wasn't at university. And I became absolutely obsessed by wanting to know what caused Spanish flu. As you know, it killed upwards of 50 million people. 
It killed more people than the Black Death of the Middle Ages. It mm-hmm. killed more people than all the fighting of the First World War. And remarkably, it did it in just one year. The other remarkable thing about Spanish flu is they killed young, healthy adults, those in the prime of life, those 20 to 40 years of age. And uh, I wanted to know why. And I wondered if we could find the virus. Well, everyone told me that's not possible. You're not a virologist. And I don't like when anyone says something is not possible. I take impossible as a dare. <laughs> and I spent 10 months reading, reading everything I could about Spanish flu and trying to find samples of the virus. And when I couldn't, um, I wondered if I could find virus that was buried in the permafrost, it would be a way of the, the virus could potentially be preserved and maybe we could make a new vaccine um, against one of history's deadliest diseases. We could test our drugs. And that led to a 10-year search and an expedition I led 500 miles from the North Pole. Unbelievable. So your book really is an account of this journey. It is. I took 17 world-leading scientists and professionals uh, from four different countries. They were all men. I started this research when I was 26. You can imagine there was some challenges. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, and then there were the scientific challenges. For example... How do you try and create, a, it, we, we exhumed six bodies from the permafrost. We knew that um, these coal miners had died of Spanish flu. But how do you do the research that is in a respectful, ethical manner? And how do you do it so that it is safe, so that you protect the world of 1918 from the world of, at that time, it was 1998. The other thing I find really fascinating, and this reflects Canadian science so much, you talk about respect. Here in Canada, we have so many different facets for respecting people who get involved in research. And I I find it wonderful that even when you're talking about the permafrost and, and bringing up corpses, you still talk about respect much as we would with any other community that exists on this soil. I I find it absolutely fascinating, and I I thank you for bringing that up. I went, you know, to the community of Longyearbyen. If I was going to ask to do this research and ask permission of the government and ask permission uh, of the government of Svalbard and Norway to do this work, they had to know me. They had to trust me. I got to know the library in Longyearbyen. I knew the school teacher. I met the children. I knew the grocer because I was, you know, someone from halfway around the planet. They had to trust me, and I had to go through all the right protocols, and I think that's incredibly important. There comes a time for all of us in which we need to have a shift in focus. For me and Minister Duncan, it was hanging up our lab coats. But not completely. I share science with my books and this podcast. For the minister, it was heading into politics and working to ensure Canada's science community continued to thrive.
why did I go into politics? I loved my, I, I loved being at the university. I loved my students. I loved my research. But I always told my students that you have to learn your books. You have to learn your textbooks. You have to do your essays. But I always challenged them to change the world. And I, each year I would give them a challenge and they would decide what they wanted to do. Some years they bought acres of boreal forest to protect it. Another year they raised 500 hats and gloves for local shelters. And then they went and they did some tutoring. And I remember I was lecturing, I was talking about climate change and I said, we don't have a, we, right now, we don't have a government that believes in climate change. It was 2008. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change said back in 1995, humans are having a discernible impact on climate. And so I'm saying this to the class, and at the same time, I thought, and what are you going to do about it? And I knew then it was time to go into politics. And I got the opportunity to serve the community where I am born and raised. Uh, it's incredibly exciting. It's a great honor. I election in seven languages. We are proudly uh, one of the most diverse ridings in the country. And I learn from the families of the Etobicoke North every single day for the last 10 years. And I am so grateful to them. We're going to get into you being the Minister of Science in a second, but I do have to ask you as a scientist, my first venture experience, whatever you want to call it, with the Hill was back in 2005 with the hand hygiene commitment with the World Health Organization with the then Minister of State, Carolyn Bennett. I love her. We still talk every now and then. But the thing is, is I found it very much like being in a lab. You didn't quite know what was going to happen the next day. You had experiments, yes, but oh my God, you have no idea where they're going to go. Is it politics really like that? <laughs> I, I, I remember the campaign. I remember Minister Bennett's work back then, and I love that you are both still in touch. Um, what I love uh, about serving my community and serving Canadians is there is the opportunity to really make a difference. I always challenge my students, make a difference to your community, to the environment, to the country. But how are you going to give back? Volunteer, make a difference in the world. And that's what politics is about. I think what people see on television, they see question periods. That's an hour. But most of the day is focused on if you want to change something in policy, how are you going to work with Canadians to see if you've got agreement? And then how are you going to find a way to move this policy through the House? I think that's one of the reasons why you being Minister of Science was such a perfect match. I don't know if you remember millennials uh, and the idea of the word squee, <laughs> but it means something really cool has happened. When you were given the portfolio, did you squee? <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to leave the university all those years ago. The university is my home. I, I told you I loved my students. I couldn't wait to get in the classroom. I couldn't wait to be challenged by them. They asked the best questions, and I loved my research. When I found out I was 
being asked to be the Minister of Science, all I could think is, and now I get to serve the community that I love and adore, that I will work hard to return science and research to their rightful place, that we will begin a discussion with our researchers and our students. I mean, I was in opposition. I know what happened with science, how scientists were muzzled, and I fought strenuously against it, how scientists were muzzled, how scientists were cut, how we had researchers protesting the death of evidence on Parliament Hill. I wanted to return research to its rightful place. I want to put our researchers and students at the center of everything we do. That means, do they have the funding for their research? Do they have their labs and tools? Do they have their digital tools? And my goal was to embed science and research everywhere I can so that we can never go back to what it was like for 10 years. I mean, under the Conservatives, it was very difficult for research. So now I've embedded science and research so that it can never be undone. The other thing is that we have so many more different branches of science than when you and I were kids. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty crazy out there. I mean, even with this show, we're doing shows on artificial intelligence. We're doing philo- philosophy and, and how science and philosophy can work together with neuroscience. We're always hearing about new branches of science that has to be some kind of a challenge for you as a minister of science to all of a sudden realize that you no longer have a few babies of physics, biology, and chemistry. You have a whole school, if you will, of different types of thoughts and and experimental design. What our kids are doing across this country, never mind when we get to our students at the universities and our colleges and our researchers there, these are amazing kids who are just doing phenomenal work. And one of the things I've brought uh, to Parliament Hill, I've tried to bring science and research to the Hill as much as I can. And one of the things I'm really proud of, we have a Prime Minister's Science Fair each year now. And the science winners from across the country come, they present their work to the Prime Minister, to our Chief Science Advisor, Dr. Niemer, and we are bringing science back to the heart of government. It's Ask Class time, and today we're going to find out how you can get involved in Canadian science. It doesn't matter if you're a Canadian citizen or if you happen to be listening from abroad. See, when it comes to science, the doors of this country are wide open, and we are happy to include all contributions. I'm seeing many researchers develop in this country. They also come from abroad. And having one who happens to also be (laughs) my significant other, better half, whatever you want to call it, I appreciate how much Canada means to the international community. Why has Canada become such a good place for people to develop as scientists? Or has it always been that way, but we just haven't focused on it? What I hear from my G7 colleagues, uh, they have said that Canada has really become a beacon for science and research. And uh, they say they're really, it's the investments we're making. They said as the world is retreating 
from science, evidence, and fact, Canada is focusing on evidence-based decision-making. And we were going to celebrate Canada's 150th anniversary. We decided to invite researchers from around the world to apply for a number of positions. Thousands, thousands applied for 25 spots. And uh, we've attracted researchers from Harvard, from the United Kingdom, from Australia and New Zealand, and the list goes on. Uh, I am so proud of our research community in this country. Uh, They really are world class. And you see it, people want to come here, they want to be part of research. And I'm encouraged because they say they feel supported by what we're doing, and um, that was my goal, to put them front and center. And I think it's more than just the international community. It's also the younger generation. You've already talked about the Prime Minister Science Fair. When I meet some of these kids, they are so excited about having the opportunity. There just seems to be this wonderful focus on science in our youth. From your perspective, do you get that feeling on Parliament Hill that the youth really are going to take science and take it to new places that maybe you and me may never have imagined? I was just going to say that we could never have imagined. Children are born curious. All children want to discover and explore. They pull apart what's ever nearby, a pen, a computer. They want to know how it works. And it's up to us to foster that natural born curiosity through elementary school, high school and beyond. And hopefully into the STEM fields or the STEAM fields, or we can even say themed for an ad in design. But it's not enough to attract them. We've got to retain them. As I said, when we have these children and young people presenting their work to the prime minister. You just can't imagine from artificial intelligence to sensors, their work is extraordinary. Precision medicine, some doing quantum. Uh, We just, these children and youth are extraordinary. And I quite think, quite frankly, can't wait to see what they do next. I have one final question, and this is just for my own ego. (laughs) When the Prime Minister came out and said that everybody, including babies, are scientists, I was totally with him. And I essentially said, yes. And if you would listen to the promo of this show, I even said, we are all scientists. Because we all experiment. And that really is the whole point. We hypothesize, we experiment, we have an outcome, and then we decide what we're going to do based on that outcome, which is science. Can you, as the Minister of Science for Canada, tell me whether or not I am correct or should I just give up and walk away? (laughs) I love that there's a scientist in every person, every person. My goal is to create, to strengthen our culture of curiosity. Uh, My challenge to students is always make sure at the end of the day what made you smile, what made you grateful, and what new thing did you learn that day. When I was still teaching at the university, the first lecture was always, how did science How did science touch your life today? And I said, from the time you get up, I want to hear every place that science touched your life. 
I love the work you do, Jason. I was inspired the day I met you and your wife. I remain inspired by the work you do. And, you know, to, to the children and young people out there, take every opportunity you're, uh, you're offered. Take time to dream your greatest dream, whatever that may be. Know there are always challenges. I call them speed bumps. You've got to figure a way over them or around them. And if someone tells you you can't do something, set out to prove them wrong. Impossible is a dare. Well, that's it for this week's SASCast. I hope it shows why Canada really is one of the best countries in the world for science. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We want to thank everyone who has been listening. Your support is overwhelming. And we are showing our gratitude by taking those questions and answering them on the show as themes. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to the Minister of Science and Sport. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Kelsey Campbell is our on-site audio producer and editing whiz. Dila Velasquez is our story producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week, and as always, make sure to show him some sass. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.